Good morning. It is a joy and a blessing to be here. Um, speak, O oh Lord. That, uh, that's our focus. Um, I want to invite you to, to open up God's Word together as we study. Um, we're, we're here today uh, not because we're, we're a Bible book club that just happens to enjoy reading this historical document. Uh, and uh, we're here today because we want to be who God wants us to be. We want to draw closer to Him. Uh, and the only way that we're going to be able to do that is to listen to Him, uh, to let Him uh, speak to us, uh, to let Him change us, to let Him further equip us to be who He desires for us to be each day. You know, we often study God's Word to determine how to live godly lives. Um, and we should. <laughs> uh, but knowing how is of little value if we lack the motivation to actually put that into practice. Uh, and so from time to time, we need to pause and discuss the why. The why of living a godly life. Uh, living a godly life is not an easy thing to do. In fact, many times in the scriptures, it's pictured as a very difficult thing to do. Jesus says, if we want to follow him, we need to take up our cross and follow him. Uh, the Christian life is, is described as putting our hand to the plow and not looking back, taking on the yoke, uh, is described as being a living sacrifice, laboring in the harvest. Uh, we need to count the cost. We need to recognize that it, it may mean, uh, Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. It may mean uh, breaking certain relationships in our lives so that we can put the Lord first. Why? Why would we want to do all of that? Why would we want to take up a cross, be a living sacrifice? Why would we want to put in the difficult work to, and discipline to, to grow, to be who God wants us to be? Well, you know, just like our physical bodies require discipline and exercise to remain physically fit and healthy, our hearts require spiritual discipline and exercise as well. Why, why is it that people may get up at the crack of dawn to go out and pound the pavement, to, to go out and get all sweaty and, and uh, you know, uh, come home exhausted? Why is it that they go out to the gym and, and do that to themselves? Well, if they do, it's, it's because they evidently see some benefit from that. And in fact, the people that may be most dedicated to doing that are the people who have either experienced or are most convicted about the benefits that they will receive from it, right? Uh, I'm, I'm not here to encourage you to physical fitness necessarily today, but, but I want you to take that concept and think about it as we think about our spiritual lives. Why is it that we would do the difficult things? Why is it that we'd make the sacrifices, that we would put in the time and effort to grow in our relationship with the Lord, to serve other people, to develop his character within us? Well, the more and more that we're convinced of the, the fruit of that kind of life, uh, and the goal of that kind of life, the more that we're going to be motivated um, to live that out. Ben read for us here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I want to focus in on verses 7 and 8 once again. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself or exercise yourself for godliness. For while pro bodily training, bodily exercise is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It holds promise for the present life 
and also the life that is to come. I want us to focus on that. What, what kind of promise does a life of godliness hold? He tells us there's two categories here. Um, and I, I think you know, the, the greatest category is, is the life to come. We recognize that eternity is a whole lot bigger than anything that we're going to experience in the here and now. And yet he tells us that it holds a promise for the life that now is and a lot, the life that is to come. So what are those promises? What, what are some of the things, uh, some of the fruits of a godly life that should motivate us uh, to do the hard things uh, and to devote ourselves to the Lord as fully as we should? Well, some of the promises as we think about this present life, uh, first of all, we, uh, as we seek to serve the Lord, can experience uh, a peace that surpasses understanding. First and foremost, that peace is with God himself. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20, uh, we're told it was the Father's good pleasure that through him, through Jesus, uh, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. God, through sending his son down to die upon the cross, is seeking to reconcile, he says, all things unto himself, to bring back into a state of fellowship, of harmony, to restore our relationship with him. Uh, you, you think about uh, the birth narrative in Luke chapter 2. What, what is it that, that the shepherds are, are told? Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. You think about uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15, where to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Peace is a major focus of the gospel. And first and foremost, the peace that Jesus came to provide is the spiritual peace between us and our creator. Um, God in the beginning, you think about the Garden of Eden. You think about the world in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. A perfect picture of peace. No conflict, no chaos, no brokenness, no sin, uh, and none of its consequences. No corruption. And yet, what caused that conflict to come in? What caused that peace to be broken, that chaos to erupt? Well, first and foremost, is a breaking of our relationship with the Lord. As long as we were in harmony with our creator, the way he created all things to live in harmony and fellowship and perfect union with him. And yet, because we've broken that relationship, uh, we have brought about the, the, the worry, the hurt, the pain, the chaos, the grief that comes uh, from sin. And so first and foremost, our, our peace with God is the foundation upon which all other peace is built. God created the universe to work harmoniously together. Um, and if all things remained in peace with God, uh, they would be in harmony with one another as God designed it. Um, regardless of what our circumstances may be, regardless of what is going on in the world around us, regardless of what pains and brokenness we may have to experience in this world, if we, by the grace of God, can get back to peace with him, that's a foundation for a peace that transcends this earthly existence, a peace that surpasses all understanding. You think about the song that, that we sometimes sing, it is well with my soul. Um, though the, the billows may blow, uh, though the storms may come, we can hold fast to the fact that, that we 
have a fellowship with the creator of the universe, the source of all things good. And when we have peace with God, we can have peace from God. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, look with me in verse 6 and 7. These Christian brethren here are told, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We can have a peace through prayer, through bringing, he says, everything, in everything. doesn't matter what our circumstances are, what difficulties we're experiencing. We can take that to the Lord knowing that he is the one in control, that he knows what's best, that he wants what's best for us. Uh, we can take our concerns to the all-powerful, all-wise, all-loving God. I think about 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Uh, when we draw close to the Lord, when, when we, uh, by, by faith, trust that he is sovereign, that he is in control, that he does care for us, we respond to that love that he has shown to us. Um, we, we can, whatever cares we're carrying, whatever burdens we're carrying, we can bring it before him knowing that he is a good father. Um, that he doesn't allow his children to suffer needlessly. Um, though he may allow us to go through difficult things, we can have a foundation of knowing that he knows the next step. He knows the next bend in the road. Uh, and he knows what we truly need above all else. Um, and that doesn't make sense to a worldly mindset. It says it surpasses understanding. From an earthly perspective, uh, from a perspective that, that does not have a genuine faith and trust in God, that the best that we can do with all this brokenness and this chaos and this difficulty is say, well, believe in yourself. You know, uh, trust that, that you have the power, that you have the strength to handle this. Uh, and that may sound really good. Maybe you can get us pumped up for a little bit, but, but there are times where we recognize, no, we don't have the strength. We don't know what to do. We can't trust in ourselves. All our hope and confidence can't rest upon our own shoulders. Um, and yet, God has given us something that surpasses worldly explanation. Uh, we, may, we may not know what the next chapter in our lives holds, but we know who's writing the story. And if we trust in his goodness, uh, we can have a peace about whatever it is that the future holds. Uh, look in Matthew chapter 6. We uh, haven't gotten here yet in our Sermon on the Mount study on, on Tuesday nights, uh, but we're coming up on this section in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, again, uh, as Jesus addresses worry and, and difficulty, he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, not only can we have a peace because we trust 
in God's power to take care of things. We can have a peace because our priorities are different than what the world's priorities are. Here he describes the Gentiles' concerns as, as food and clothing. That, that sounds like some pretty important concerns, right? He says that, that's what the Gentiles are focused on. No, your father has got that taken care of. That's not where your focus needs to be. Many times we, we, we worry and we stress and we, we burden ourselves with these things because our priorities aren't what they need to be. When we truly keep the Lord first in our hearts, that's a relationship. That, that is a foundation that's not going to be shaken. That's not in question. Um, God is going to always be good. God, God is not going to change. Um, and yet, when we stake all of our goals and hopes and priorities in the things of this world, um, those are things that are going to, to come and go. We need to trust that the Lord will provide those things. We need to clear out the clutter and focus on the Lord, trusting that he has it all under control. He will provide like a shepherd provides for his sheep. You, you think about the peace described to us in Psalm 23. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, you think about the picture of a sheep with its shepherd. Uh, is the sheep out there, you know, kind of getting together with the other sheep and saying, okay, well, we, we ate at this pasture this day, but where are we going tomorrow? Do we, are we sure that there's grass over, over here? And what about the day after that? Uh, you know, do we have a, do we have a map uh, uh, planned out here? Um, and, you know, do we have a contingency plan about the, the wolf coming in? You know, what are we going to do? do you, everybody have an escape plan? Is, is the sheep doing any of that? No. Why? Because the shepherd's gotten that taken care of, right? The sheep is able to lie down beside the still waters, this picture of perfect peace, because he doesn't have to take care of himself. It, it's not in our hands. It's not in our control. It's in God's control. And the more that we trust in his goodness and his sovereignty and his love for us, the more we can find this perfect peace. Um, the peace of having the Lord as our shepherd. Even though we go through the valley of the shadow of death. Even though we recognize in this broken world we are going to experience suffering. Um, that suffering is going to remind us how much this world can't answer our difficulties. How much we can't stake our hopes and our goals and our priorities here. As we go through that, though, we can know that the Lord is with us. It is well with our soul. And that's what is truly important. But along with a peace that surpasses understanding, um, godliness holds a promise in this present life of joy. Psalm 16, if you're in the book of Psalms, just turn back uh, a few chapters, a few Psalms to Psalm 16 and verse 11. We read here, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. 
and your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, this world can offer us some pleasures, right? Some enjoyments, uh, but they are by their very nature passing pleasures. What God promises to us here, what he makes available to us on his path, the path of life, is fullness of joy. Pleasures forevermore. A joy that will not waver with circumstances, that will not fade with time. A joy that will fill us up. You think about Jeremiah chapter 2 and in verse 13. Uh, this is a context in which God, again, is rebuking his people for idolatry, specifically. Um, but as we made application of Isaiah 44 to us today, I want us to think about this in the context of any idols that we may have in our hearts. He says in Jeremiah 2 and verse 13, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. As the Israelites hewed for themselves these, these idols, he's describing that as making cisterns, something that, that holds water, it doesn't produce water, it holds water and it, it has a limited capacity. And not only that, he says it's a broken cistern. The more that they try to collect this water, what's going to happen to it? It's going to leak out the other side. And they weary themselves and spend all this time and this effort trying to fill it up. And at the end, it's going to leave them empty. And yet what is God promised to them? What is God providing to them? He's the fountain of living waters. God's joy will never run dry. The world's joy will never be full. And so as we think about uh, the idols that pull at our hearts, uh, the fleshly lusts that pull at our hearts, the, the passing pleasures of this world that, that pull at us, we need to recognize that, that it's like that bro broken cistern. We, we think, well, here we, we can gather some water. We can pour water into the cistern. What happens? It's going to leave us disappointed and empty without purpose, without value, without fulfillment. And yet what God is offering to us, a, a, a true sincere relationship with him, the source of all good things, the creator of all good things. That's a well, uh, a fountain that's not going to run dry. You know, you think about, in a, in a worldly sense, in a fleshly sense, uh, what, the things that you take the, the greatest enjoyment in. Maybe, maybe they're not uh, fleshly in the sense of being sinful, but, but in this world, what is it that, that you take the, the greatest joy in experiencing? And imagine for a moment that that experience, that, uh, you know, hobby, whatever it might be, that that's all you did from now on. <laughs> every day, every moment. How long would it take for that to get old? As much as you may enjoy it, you know, worldly joys aren't made for eternity. And I think maybe that sometimes why we have such a hard time wrapping our minds around this concept of heaven, because we, we try to think of it in terms of earthly joys, and, and earthly joys can't parallel that. No, earthly joys, by their very nature, are passing. And so we need a relationship with God. You know, no, no good thing that we've ever experienced uh, 
ultimately has any other source than God. Now, Satan can take the good things of God and corrupt them and, and offer us some type of pleasure, but really, Satan wouldn't even have the power to offer us pleasure if it wasn't for what God originally created, right? God is the designer of joy, <laughs> right? Um, let's, let's stop taking counterfeits. Let's go to the source, the creator, God promises us a joy that fills us up and even overflows. Uh, you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. As Peter is writing to Christians who are going through persecutions, who are going through various trials, he says in verse 8 and 9 here, you greatly rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. We talked about a peace that surpasses understanding. This is a joy that we can't explain. We can't put into words because it's full of glory. It's full of heavenly glory. It's beyond earthly explanation. It's not physical. It's spiritual. Um, and and when, when we try to wrap our minds around this concept of the joy that God is offering us, the fountain of living waters, um, you know, it, it's not going to make sense from an earthly perspective, right? I, I, I want to... Um, I want to tell a story on my wife uh, that I, I haven't told for quite a while. Um, back, back in our dating years, some of you may, may know this, but Erin had a stroke when she was 15. Um, and as a result of that, um, dealt through, through high school years, especially with some severe depression um, as a side effect from some medicines that she was taking as well. Um, and so she was dealing with that uh, during uh, some of our dating years. And there was one day that we were sitting in a park together and she was breaking down and crying and just have a hard, hard time uh, keeping it together. Uh, and across the table, uh, she looked up at me. She said, Grady, I'm so glad I'm going through this. That's when I knew she was the one. Um, the joy that God offers us is not based on our emotions. It's not based on physical chemicals in our brain. It's not based on what, what we experience in the here and now in these circumstances. It's about something so much deeper. It, it, it takes hold as a foretaste of the eternal glory, the eternal joy that God is offering us. And so we can be going through the valley of the shadow of death. We can be going through times of great emotional difficulty. And yet through that, uh, we, we can begin to distinguish the difference bet between the difficulties that our flesh are, is experiencing and the joy that our soul has access to, to even see value in the trials, to even see value in the grief, because it, it helps us recognize all the more how much we need God. I, I've quoted C.S. Lewis on this before, but C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes the more that we experience the pain of this life, the more we recognize uh, that God alone can provide a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. I think about Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3 um, you may remember the prophet Habakkuk has some questions for God. Um, and as he, he questions the Lord, 
um, about why God's allowing all these things to go on. Why doesn't God bring judgment upon uh, these wicked people? God says, I am going to judge these people. And Habakkuk says, wait a second, the people that you're using to judge them seem like a, a whole lot worse people than, than these are. Everything isn't quite making sense <laughs> to Habakkuk. Why is God allowing all of this to go on? Um, but at the end of all of this, Habakkuk comes to a place of recognizing God knows, God understands, God's in control. Notice what he says in Habakkuk 3, verse 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's feet. He makes me tread on my high places. God, God lifts us up, up above all of that. You, you think about, you know, the experience that he's describing here. Uh, imagine if you experience all of those things one after another. You know, maybe you're uh, uh, a vineyard owner. Uh, you're, you're an olive grower and, and you go out and you have nothing. You know, all, all that you planted, it's, it's gone. Uh, you think, well, maybe I can get some produce over here. I go to the saws. Nope. Uh, your animals are dying. Um, nothing is going right. And yet, what does Habakkuk say? Rejoice in the Lord. It is well with my soul. God is a source of joy that isn't dependent on circumstances. You think about Philippians 4 and verse 4. It says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. I left out a part. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. God commands us to rejoice always. We may say, wait a second. I, I can't do that. that. That's not how life works. Uh, I'm not going to be joyous always. Well, emotionally, you're not right? But God never commands us to do something that we can't do, right? We can rejoice in the Lord always. We can cling to the joy that, that we have knowing our relationship with the creator of the world, with the source of all things good. And closely related with that, in this present life, we can experience love in a much deeper and truer way uh, than this world has to offer. We have a loving Father. First John chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And such we are. You know, I think about the, the joy um, of holding Ruby for the first time. Uh, and, and the love of... Uh, you know, of a father for, for a child. Um, that uh, immense and deep feeling of, of, of connection, of care, of love. And yet, our human examples pale in comparison to the God who created us. God is such a good father. <laughs> a better father than, than we can, can wrap our minds around. Um, and he's demonstrated it to us again and again. He's demonstrated his love to us 
uh, first and foremost, through the sacrifice of his son, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you think about the people that he gave his son to. You think about you and I. You know, is it that we just inspired such great love in God's heart? You know, that he looked down and he said, boy, these people, they they really deserve something great. You know, maybe I should send my son to them. (laughs) Of course not. Now, Romans 5 describes us as enemies of God. We are ungodly, we are sinful, we took the perfect creation, that peace that we were talking about in the garden, and we've broken it, we've ruined it. And what is God's heart towards that? God is reaching out to allow his own son, who is perfect, who is the perfect image of God, to be nailed to a cross, to be crucified, to bleed and die by these very people that God is reaching out and seeking to make his children. That doesn't make sense. To a worldly perspective, who who does that? That doesn't make sense. And yet that is the love that God is wanting to show to us. A love that, that we can't wrap our minds around. And yet he wants you and I, he wants to, to pull us out of our brokenness, to pull us out of our, our enmity. He wants to reconcile us unto himself so that he can shower us with that love. You know, there, there, there is a little greater joy in this life than the joy of relationships, right? Um, whatever joy you may experience, if you're experiencing by yourself, it's kind of empty, right? And you think about, the, the try to imagine the, the greatest relationship possible. You know, whether it be some romantic relationship uh, between a husband and wife, whether it be a a, a father uh, and child relationship. Think about the greatest love possible. Um, And yet that is such a small taste of what it is to be in the family of God, to be welcomed home, to be with him for all eternity. That's what we're going to talk about here in a moment. Um, What a gift that God is giving us with his love. You look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 35. We're told, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This isn't based on circumstances. It's not based on on any of the temporal things of this life. It isn't broken by death itself. Through God's love, all of those things can be conquered because we have been given access to a relationship um, that, uh, that is, is never going to let us down. God is not going to change. Uh, God's character will not change. He's the greatest father 
the greatest lover, uh, the greatest husband possible. And we, through that, have been given the opportunity to be part of a family of love. You think about Jesus' command to his disciples in John 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, says in verse 35, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. God has called us as his people to take that love that we've received and to replicate it, to show it in the way that we treat one another. Um, We're imperfect in doing that. We fail in doing that. And yet what a blessing it is to be part of a group, a family, a community of people who are striving to emulate that love that God has shown us. Um, There is no greater demonstration of family uh, than when we, we follow that pattern. You can be part of a group of people that are uh, vessels of God's love. Uh, these aren't people who are simply drawn together by a common hobby, a common interest. This is not a, a Bible book club. This is not some social club. Uh, this is a group of people that are striving to be who God wants them to be, who are striving to have a common love that Paul says knits us together. Colossians 2 and verse 2. You can have brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters that genuinely care about you. Um, And you can have that bond even with people that you've never met. Um, It it is amazing to me uh, times when we have have been given the opportunity to uh, go and stay in the homes of Christians that we've never met, right? Um, it, it, it's helpful for me to, to see that through the eyes of, um, of some people who, who didn't grow up in a, a Christian home. For, for uh, me, you know, it was pretty common that strangers came into our house, but, but they were brethren. They, they were our brothers, our sisters. Um, and yet, to the world, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and yet, that's what it should be. That's what it should be, as God's people are, are striving to act like this family, like this body that he has designed us to be, we can have an instant bond with other people who share the most important thing um, in this life, who share the, the highest priority of service to the Lord. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12 describes us as a body. It says uh, that we might have the same care for one another. Uh, verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Uh, We don't have to be alone. Um, We don't have to be isolated. Um, You know, the circumstances of this world have pushed us in that direction. But God has given us an opportunity to be part of a body. When when you stub your toe, uh, does the rest of the body just kind of say, well, you know, get things together. Stop stop being such a, uh, you know, a, a whiner over there. No, your, your entire body reacts, right? Um, when you eat a warm meal, <laughs> you take a warm bath, your, your entire body uh, experiences those blessings. That's what God describes that his people need to be. There's a great blessing in that. 
of having people to comfort us in our grief, to encourage us in our success, people who will treat us as their own flesh and blood. Only in Jesus can we learn what true love is, receive it from God, and share it with one another. But none of those things that we just talked about in this present life are possible um, without also focusing on the life to come. And we're just going to have one point here, and that is hope. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If we don't have hope, that peace is a sham. Um, that joy uh, is an illusion. That, that love uh, is, is not what we have claimed that it is. What gives all of these things their strength, what makes them inexpressible and full of glory, what makes them uh, surpassing understanding is that they go beyond this life. They go beyond this broken world. They go beyond this temporary existence. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, if you want to turn over there with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept or reserved in heaven for you. The hope that God has given us um, is not wishful thinking. It's not um, fickle. This hope is thriving and vibrant. It is a living hope. It is untouched by death, unstained by evil, unimpaired by time. Its original value and beauty will not fade. In fact, it will only grow more and more beautiful with time. And it's kept, it's reserved in heaven for us. Can you think about having a reservation in heaven, having your name written on on a room up there. What a blessing that God in his grace has given us an opportunity to call heaven our home. John chapter 14, verse one through three, Jesus comforts his disciples with that very thought. John 14, verse one, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you uh, that I, uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Brethren, the, the worries and trials of this life become trivial in the light of heaven. Uh, You think about what these disciples were about to experience, what Jesus himself was about to experience. You think about the the fear and and the burden and the grief of all that they're going through as Jesus himself is betrayed and arrested and crucified, and yet he has told them before that even started, you don't have to be troubled because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to receive you unto myself. That ultimately is the greatest blessing of heaven. We get to be in the presence of Almighty God, our loving Father, the source of all true joy, the shepherd of peace. Look in Revelation chapter 21. You know, Revelation gives us some 
description of heaven and yet it, it uses physical imagery um, to, to try to help us understand what heaven is truly like. And yet all of that uh, is, is just um, a shadow of what heaven truly is. Look where the focus is though. In Revelation 21 verse 3 and 4 it says, And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Where where do you think the focus of heaven is? Is it on streets of gold, uh, on jewels? Look at verse three there. How many times does he emphasize we're going to be with God? We're going to dwell with him. If we understand who this God is, the source of all good things. You know, the, the only things we can wrap our minds around are, are the pleasures and joys that he has created for us here in this life. But God's the designer of all of that. I, I don't have to understand, what, well, what am I going to do all day in heaven? <laughs> I'm not even sure if that question makes sense. Um, I know who God is. And I get to be with him. I get to bask in the light of his presence. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what that's going to be like. But there is no question that it's going to be better than anything that I can put into words, anything that I've ever experienced. And that is what God is offering to us. That is what fills that joy with, with, uh, with glory. That's what gives power to that peace and to that love. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Talk about fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. Um, God's offered us a foretaste of that joy here in this life, a foretaste of that peace, a foretaste of that love, but we get to experience it in its fullness and in its eternity after this broken existence is over. So the question for us today, as, as we, we think about disciplining ourselves, exercising ourselves unto godliness, is, is it worth it? I hope we've answered that question beyond a shadow of a doubt. Yes, it is worth it. Uh, it is worth whatever price we need to pay. Th- think about this. For the follower uh, of this world, this life with all its pain, its sorrow, its worry, its fear, is the best that it's ever going to get. For the follower of God, this life with its foretaste of peace and joy and love and hope that surpasses all earthly understanding is the worst that it's ever going to get. Which one of those do you want to choose? If you recognize today uh, that you're not disciplining yourself unto godliness, um, that you are buying into the lies of this world, the passing pleasures that it has to offer you, if you're here today with, with an emptiness of heart, uh, knowing that, that what you've been pursuing is not filling you up, 
won't you turn to the Lord? Won't you surrender to him? And maybe you have surrendered to him, uh, but you haven't fully surrendered. Maybe you've kind of buried that old man of sin in baptism, but but on a semi-regular basis, you're kind of digging him back up and bringing him back out. If that's the case, won't you today commit to fully surrendering? Won't you reach out to these brethren here um, to, to help you in that? We're, we're all imperfectly striving uh, to discipline ourselves unto godliness, to be who God wants us to be, to reflect the, the glory of his character each day. If we can help you in that, that that's why we're here. That's why this body exists. And so if you need to commit your life to the Lord for the first time, to confess your belief in Jesus as Christ, as King, uh, to bury the old man of sin in baptism, by the grace of God and the power of the resurrection, you can be raised to walk in newness of life. And if you need to come back to the Lord, and we can help you in that in any way, won't, won't you make it known? We're about to, to sing a song, um, and if, if you do have some need that you'd like to make known, uh, won't you make it known by coming to the front as we sing that song?